This is Tensegrity Church Podcast, encouraging a balanced tension of truth and love in the body of Christ. I'm your host, John Gruen. When Tony Stark died, I cried. I'll admit it. I know it's not the manliest thing to confess, but I get emotional sometimes. I I get choked up, I like to say, because that sounds better than to say I cry. But it happens to me more often than I'd like. It runs in my family. It happens to some of us, not just when we're saying goodbye or grieving something sad, but also when something is touching, beautiful, meaningful, or when we're overcome with gratitude. So I get choked up at movies sometimes, and 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 sometimes at concerts, and and I really don't like it when it happens when I'm preaching or leading a Bible class. And I wouldn't say it happens all the time. It's not like it's every week or every month, but I can't control it, and I can't predict it sometimes, so it bothers me. As I've ministered to people, I've had entire conversations where the other person was in tears the whole time, either happy or sad tears. And I've noticed that some people can talk clearly and evenly while the tears are dripping down their cheeks. I wish I could cry like that. Instead, my my throat clamps shut and I can't talk and make a really ugly face. Honestly, I hate it. But God made us emotional beings, and those emotions are useful. They tell us and others something about what's going on in life. Emotions have great power to move humans to action. And when someone observing the emotion takes on that emotion, that's empathy. When someone sees another person in distress and is determined to do something about it, and actually follows through with an act of mercy, that's compassion. But what's the use of empathizing with a fictional character? Why cry at a made-up story? You could argue that there's not much utility in it at all, that we're just wasting some very useful emotions on a screen. And if we use it all up on made-up characters, then we'll have nothing left for the real people we encounter. This has often been my train of thought because, well, in my line of work, I occasionally experience compassion fatigue. I reach a limit where I, I just have to be done with the emotions. I can't care as much as I should. I can't be as sad or even as joyful as I normally should be or would normally be appropriate for any given ministry situation. There's a limit on what I can feel for people in fiction and in real life. But I realize not everyone has that problem. In fact, my wife can cry her eyes out at a sad TV show saying, It's so good! and still feel all the joy or sorrow she needs to feel for real life. It's amazing. Now, because I have a limit, it kind of bothered me that this amazing movie called Avengers Endgame got me all choked up in parts. Now, now the movie came out a while ago, a few years ago, but it's still on my mind because it was epic and powerful and is now very much a part of our culture. If you're not familiar with the movie or the epic 21 movies in the Marvel Cinematic Universe that led up to it, or the Marvel movies that have come after it, 
I, I can't really summarize it for you now. It would take way too long. I can't even briefly give you a plot summary of only Endgame, which was about a three and a half hour long movie. So I'm going to assume you either know it or can at least relate to the emotional elements I'm going to discuss. I got mildly choked up early on when Tony Stark, who's Iron Man, thought he was about to die, and he left a goodbye message for his wife, Pepper. If you've ever said goodbye or lost a loved one, you know that it's a very powerful and very sad experience. So it's no surprise that this was an emotional part of the film for many, even though it was right at the beginning. It happened again, you know, the, the choked up thing, when Scott Lang, who is Ant-Man, came home after five years away and discovered his daughter Cassie had grown and changed so much. The reunion was heartwarming, and this time I had to try to make sure I wasn't actually making sniffing noises in the theater. As a father, I'm often shocked at how quickly my sons are growing up. And to see someone on the screen have a happy reunion with his daughter, combined with the grief of not being able to be with her and there for her for five very difficult years, well, it was a little too much for me to keep my composure. Another part of the film that was sad for many people actually had no impact on me at all. It was the part where Clint Barton, who is Hawkeye, and Natasha Romanoff, who is the Black Widow, were both willing to sacrifice themselves and had a tussle over which one was going to do it, and in the end, Natasha valiantly died for the cause of saving the universe. The music was moving, the cinematography beautiful, and many people in the theater cried, but their relationship was, well, let's just say it was strange, complicated, and unexplained at the time, so it didn't really move me much. But when Tony Stark died, I had to try not to make sniffing noises again, and I'm not alone. The scene moved many people for many different reasons. Some loved the character and were sad that he wouldn't be in future movies. Some were greatly moved by the nobility of the sacrifice that he would willingly give himself up in order to save the planet and save half the universe from being destroyed again. Some were moved by the reaction of Peter Parker, who is Spider-Man, who had looked up to Tony as a mentor, a father figure, a strong leader and an inspiration. Peter was saying, we won, we won, but through tears. Some were moved when Tony's wife, Pepper, assured him that she and their daughter, Morgan, would be okay. She was strong enough to compose herself to say what she needed to say in Tony's final seconds of life, but she broke down in tears when he died. It was all very moving. The scene was so powerful, it spoke to me. And later I sat down at the piano while streaming the soundtrack and I, I plucked out a simple version of the music that played in this heart-wrenching scene.
But the part that spoke to me most of all was when his wife Pepper said, You can rest now. You can rest is something that I've said to dying people. Your sins are forgiven. Heaven is open to you. Jesus is with you. Your family is here and they love you. You can rest. You can rest. And I mean you can rest as a a double entendre, a, a double meaning. The first meaning is you can rest here and now. You, you can sleep if you're tired. You can lay back and close your eyes if you like. Don't worry about anyone or anything. All is well. Everyone here is here to take care of you. But the second meaning of you can rest is you can rest with God in heaven. When a believer dies, his or her soul goes at once to be with Jesus. We're told in Scripture that this believing soul is at peace, is in paradise, and is with Christ. In Revelation 14, 13, the Apostle John writes, Then I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, so they will rest from their labors, since their works follow them. Rest, a soul at peace, a person who lives even though he dies, as Jesus says in John 11, the body which God loves and redeems through the cross and claims in baptism as his own for eternal life, the body is laid to rest here and awaits the day of the resurrection of all flesh, the last day, when Jesus will return to raise the dead, to judge the living and the dead, and to make for all who had faith in him a new heavens and new earth, where we will live forevermore. Each of us, a cleansed and perfected soul, joined together with our raised and glorified body. That is our living hope. That is our goal That is our future. But until that last day, when a believer dies, the person rests. The soul rests at peace with Christ. The body is laid to rest in the grave. When Pepper tells Tony, you can rest now, it made an impact on me because, and this is so very well done in the movie, because Tony had always been a bit restless. He carried this terrible burden of responsibility, grief over what was lost, the drive to look for solutions even when it was impossible. And when he made the scientific breakthrough that opened up the smallest window of hope, though it certainly also opened a door to danger, peril, and destruction, and almost certain death, he couldn't ignore the option. He told his wife that he could just toss the discovery into the lake and sink it to the bottom and and go on with the nice little life that he and his wife had made for themselves. But she wisely says to him, But could you rest? Meaning, of course, could you be at peace with that? 
Wouldn't it eat away at you? Could you ignore the terrible responsibility forever? Would there be any joy in our life after you ignored your duty and destiny? She knew the answer as she asked it. And when she asked it, he knew the answer too. And so did the audience. And that's the part that really touched me, this burden of responsibility. And I imagine that it is not a feeling unique to pastors. Parents feel it too. I must do what I must do for the well-being of my children. Public servants, whether firefighters or police officers or public administrators, feel it, at least the ones who take their oaths seriously. I'm guessing teachers feel it. Soldiers undoubtedly feel it. Doctors and nurses, especially all the, the months and now a couple of years and counting of this COVID thing. I'm guessing we all feel it to some degree at some time or another. The burden, the work, the responsibility, the pain, the trauma, the serving and often the suffering, the trials and the troubles, the, the yearning, searching, longing for peace, longing for rest, longing for life, and yet unable to find it in anything we do, but able to find it in Christ. He did the work, you know. He carried the heavy burden of the cross. He carried the weight of the world and the load of all your failures to the cross. He suffered the unrest of eternal hell as he endured the pain for you. And then he cried out, It is finished. There's a famous prayer of St. Augustine that says to the Lord, Our souls are without peace until we find our rest in you. I'm sure you can relate to the feeling of unrest. Do you know where to find that peace, that rest? Tony found it by taking responsibility, doing his duty, and facing his terrible destiny. We find it in Jesus, trusting that he has accomplished salvation for us, and then finding in him our destiny, doing our God-given duty, exercising our loving responsibilities to God and for neighbor. It's an incredibly fulfilling way to live. Such a faithful disciple who trusts not in his or her own works, but in the works of Jesus, can lie there in bed at the end of life and be told by pastor and by family, it's okay, you can rest now. Though we are mourning, we are at peace. Though we weep, we have a joy that is stronger still. You can rest. Sleep here and now if you like, and go be with Jesus whenever he calls you. For though your body will be laid to rest here, the one who rested in the tomb for you and who rose victorious from the dead for you will return to raise you up from the dead.
This has been Tensegrity Church Podcast. Strong in the truth and love of Christ, together we are church.